It was toward the end of my first year in ministry, and I had just come home from a very much needed vacation. I'd only been in the house for less than an hour when the phone rang, and it was one of my deacons. Lillian asked, would you do a funeral service for someone who's not a member of the church? Well, sure, tell me about it. It seems that her neighbor's son had been killed. He was 23 years old with a promising future, and now all of that had been blown away in a senseless act of violence. Of course I did the funeral, and I spent countless hours with that mother as she struggled to absorb the reality of her loss and make some kind of sense of it. The problem is, she never did. She was locked into an ongoing anger and grief that was really taking over her life and threatening her marriage. Well, about two months later, I had another phone call. And this one from a young woman who had been to see me with her fiancé to plan the wedding. She was calling long distance from Florida where they'd gone for a brief vacation and a visit with her sister. She said to me, the helicopters are still searching, but it looks like Keith has drowned. I can't just call his mother and tell her over the phone, please would you go? So I did. And I did the funeral. And I spent time with that mother as she struggled to absorb the reality of her loss and make some kind of sense of it, which she did. She grieved deeply. And it was a deep grief that she carried until the day of her death, but it did not destroy her. When I think about those two women and read this text from Paul's letter to the church at Rome, and I hear suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, well, no, Paul, it doesn't always. Sometimes suffering produces anger, and anger produces bitterness, and bitterness produces despair. Sometimes suffering produces a wound that is just never able to get beyond the pain and into hope. So the question that these two women have always posed for me is, what makes the difference? Why does one person find their way to hope and the other to despair? And the final answer to that always lies deep in the mystery of another person. But let me suggest some things that I've seen. I think one difference be, is where do we start? In his book, People of the Lie, Scott Peck says, dozens of times I've been asked by parents or acquaintances, Dr. Peck, why is there evil in the world? Yet no one's ever asked me in all those years why is there good in the world? It's as if we automatically assume that this is a naturally good world that has somehow been contaminated by evil. He goes on, in terms of what we know of science, however, it's actually much easier to explain evil. That things decay is quite explainable in accord with the law of physics. But life shows that, but that life should evolve into more and more complex forms is just not so easily understood. That children generally lie and steal and cheat is routinely observable. The fact that they sometimes grow up to be truly honest adults is what seems the more remarkable. Laziness is more the rule than diligence. If we seriously think about it, says Peck, 
it probably makes more sense to assume that this is a naturally evil world that has somehow been mysteriously contaminated by goodness rather than the other way around. The mystery of goodness is even greater than the mystery of evil. Well, I find the suggestion that we start with the assumption of evil to be rather grim. But I think we too often assume that opposite. We assume that everything will go well, always. I mean, bad things happen to other people, but not to us. And when hard times do happen, we're tempted to think that somehow God is out to get us. Well, thinking that life will always go well is just not realistic. Life will not always go well. Life can be hard and painful, even for white, middle-class, American, Christian folk. You know, there's a bumper sticker that says, well, I can't use the word in church, blank, happens. <laughs> you know what it is. Okay. I, for one, do not believe that God brings those hard, heartbreaking times of life. They're simply part of the flawed world in which we live. And it happens to you and to me as much as it happens to anybody else. A friend with five children says, I think that every year we get through well is a gift. Part of what I try to do is to keep my now grown kids in touch with each other so that when something hard comes along, they'll have a good support system. If we're realistic about the place of evil and pain and suffering in this world, then when, not if, but when it happens to us, then we have a different place to start. Instead of asking, well, God, why'd you get me into this? We can ask, God, how are you going to get me out of it? And how are you going to get me through it? How am I going to be given strength for the journey? Paul offers another way to get from suffering to hope. He talks about having peace with God through an access to grace. You see, the real starting point is where you start. Do you start with God as part of your life? Or don't you? I don't think it was an accident that the woman who somehow learned to live with suffering had spent her life in the church and the other one hadn't. I don't want to make that a simplistic answer. And simply being part of the church, let's face it, doesn't give us all the answers. Doesn't make it any easier. But I do think that it points to the reality that if our relationship with God is one of long standing, and if it has some depth, then we go into those hard times differently equipped to deal with them. Paul says that suffering produces endurance. Now, this is another time when the English isn't nearly as helpful as the Greek. Because the Greek word is hypomenio, and it means abiding under. You know how the Psalms talk about abiding, taking refuge under the shadow of God's wings? And Jesus even uses the illustration of the mother hen who gathers her chicks under her wings. That's the idea of enduring. It's being under the wings of God. Start with God and stay there. A young airman who was in an accident and in need of rescue said, I knew you'd do everything you possibly could to get me out. 
And that wasn't an idle hope. It was hope grounded in a reality that he knew. He knew what would be done to get him out. He'd been to survival school. He'd been taught how to get through until rescue came. He knew it might take a while. And he knew what to do in the meantime. You know, be warned that how God gets us out may not be the way we expect. Our expectation may be that God is like a reliable road service coming to pull our car out of the ditch or fill the gas tank or change the tire. And we want things put in good working order so that we can get back about our business. As if, you know, nothing's ever happened. The God who shows up in Jesus may just sit by the wreck and weep with us for a while. You know, we want it to happen on our time. But the reality is that God will come because, you see, Jesus has been through the very worst that life can throw at anybody. You talk about suffering. There was the sense of being an outcast and shut away from people. There was also that sense in which the suffering on the cross was terrible physical agony. Jesus has been there. And so we come to a God who knows what it's about, who knows what it's like. And that God will help us to get through. We can be like that airman who knows it may take a while, but we have some sense of what to do while we wait. That's the gift. That's the promise. That's the hope. Thanks be to God. Amen.